Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Back to Bird's Eye View when it comes to the Orioles. This weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is July 20th, 2015. This is episode 131. I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Jake English. For those listening to us, you should be catching us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. However, you could also be following us at Baltimore Sports Report. Check them out at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Check out their daily podcast, Baltimore Sports Today, and tune in all season long as we bring you BSR postgame live coverage following all the Orioles games on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. You can also follow us on various third-party applications such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and I suppose iTunes. And if you are out there using those third-party applications, please give us a review. Let us know how we're doing. It certainly helps to get the show out there to uh, a multitude of our audience. You can also follow us on social media. On Facebook at BEVCast, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Bird's Eye View B A L. With that, Jake, let's get down to the nitty gritty. What's your drink of the week? My drink of the week this week, Scott Magnus, is the orange Kool Aid. Mm. How is it tasting? Uh, you know, it's a little up and down, but I'm hoping it'll right itself in the end. Okay. I'm going with a, uh, a suggestion, actually, from one of our listeners. Uh, this suggestion came from Twitter user at Madi Raven. And I asked last week for uh, you know some recommendations for a beer to try. And he recommended a German beer called Weihenstefaner Hefe Weisebier. Was that pretty good? I was going to make you do it again, but I'll, no, I'll, I don't think I'll so. pass. Yeah. I'm going to have to drink a little bit more before I do that again. Um, it's like a Hefe Weisebier, definitely some heavy banana notes and... Uh, Pretty pretty darn good beer. So excellent recommendation. Folks, if you've got a beer that you want me to try for the drink of the week, shoot us a suggestion at Bird's Eye View BAL, and who knows, it might be uh, on the drink of the week next week. And feel free to give him awful recommendations as well. That, that would make my night. I can always say no, too. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, let's pop over to the twat. This week on the Twitters, it was, it was an eventful week on the social media. First, let's start with something that happened in Detroit. The Orioles were in Detroit playing at Comerica, uh, Comerica Park. And uh, here's a tweet from Craig Calcaterra, who, of course, tweets at Craig Calcaterra, with a picture that says something is on fire near Comerica Park. Now, the reason this tweet is notable is that the responses were hysterical. Clearly references to the Tigers' bullpen, to the dumpster fire that is the Tigers' team this year, coming from the Tigers' faithful, of course, I loved it. It could spur a lot of critique. So I guess well done Twitter in general for being creative in this fashion. Let, uh, me, let me ask you something next. Sure. This is a tweet comes from Hardball Talk, of course, at Hardball Talk. And it says, Yankees scouting Reds ace Johnny Cueto on Sunday. So my question for you, Scott, does that have you worried? Mm, am I worried? No. 
Is it annoying? Yes, but I'm not worried about it. No. The Yankees are in great shape. Let's be honest. Four games up against the Orioles. The Orioles do play them nine games, but to have a four-game lead going into the last week of July, uh, it's still something that you've got to tip the cap to, to a certain regard. Joe Girardi is pulling some magic out of his hat, just like he has for the past few years with the Yankees, uh, overcoming, uh, not saying a talent drought, but making the talent a lot better than they actually are. Um, I'm going to go on soapbox time, Jake, and I know how much you love me going on soapbox time. Uh, let me just set my watch to soapbox time. Yes. Go. All right. This comes from Justin Fenton. You can follow him at Justin underscore Fenton. Uh, he does a great job of uh, reporting uh, information about Baltimore City police and uh, criminal activity with for the Baltimore Sun. Uh, this comes from his tweet says, Mayor Stephanie Rowling's break on riots lasting only a few hours. There's a lot of cities that would have loved to have that record. I'm going to play the this quote. And while it's while you say it's under negative scrutiny, when I go around the country and they look at the fact that other cities have burned for weeks, Baltimore itself burned for weeks during the riots of '68. We were able to control the unrest and the riots to a few hours on one day. There are a lot of cities right now that would love to have that record. Sorry, Jake. I'm gonna have to pop on here and just say that's a terrible, terrible snippet from her, uh, especially going into a campaign year. I hate to go all political, but. When you see something like that, and especially how it affected the city, um, this indignancy of, oh, it's not that big of a deal, just drives me insane. So I have to bring it to the attention for the twat this week. 140 characters, 19 seconds of video. Isn't that what this medium is for? Um, We also want to talk about the Buck Show Walter special. Orioles fan problems, you can follow them at Orioles fan probs. If you're watching MLB, if you're not watching MLB Network right now, you're spending your Wednesday night the wrong way. And absolutely, home run out of the park with this tweet. Wednesday night at seven o'clock was a really special episode with Buck Showalter sitting down with Bob Costas and talking about um, basically managerial career, but also where he sees himself in the future. Just a really some great, uh, great quotes through the whole thing. Um, one of these quotes actually came from a listener of the show, Tony Lescalette, and it says, "Quote of the year: You want a statue and be more." win a championship, get her done O's, stay hungry. I mean, like I said, they were, it, the, the entire special was filled with quotes upon quotes upon quotes and just really reemphasized, at least for me, how important Buck Showalter is to this team. Well, I don't think it was just for you and me. I mean, I feel like Buck Showalter's got the, the market cornered on uh, you know adulation in Baltimore, but I think it really uh, put him in a positive light on more of a national or, might I say, international level yeah um we actually were talking to an individual from toronto a few weeks back when you know the blue jays and the orioles were having their little kerfuffle is tet a tet 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 and uh we were talking about why uh, toronto fans hate the orioles and one of the reasons was because buck Walter comes off as arrogant and pompous one of those individuals in toronto uh base at baseball steve 23 contacted us back after the special and said i'm sure you remember my well complaints about him being uh coming across as, as pompous this special humanized him and i think that's really important to get that image out there look when buck was hired to this team i thought that very similarly pompous you know very full of himself not willing to make mistakes but the more and more i saw of him on a daily basis the more and more it humanized him i think especially like that on mlb network really did a lot to you know get a better favorable view of him out in all major league baseball it was definitely an enjoyable watch and i've actually watched some of the other specials while i watched the one on the ford living legends uh, or whatever they're calling them and uh, i thought that was also a very well done special so maybe you know mlb network is following the nfl's uh, network's footsteps of putting more specials like this together to run during times when there aren't actually uh, games 
Next, we've got a tweet from uh, Pete Gilbert. Uh, oh, this should be very professional, then. At WBALP, you know, friend of the program. Yeah. His, High journalistic standards. Absolutely. His, yeah. his tweet uh, reads as follows. OMG, 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 hashtag RISP. Huh. Well, I guess everyone can get excited when you basically don't hit for pretty much 12 days, so... I, I was excited. It was nice to see somebody else. Yes. Someone that actually, you know, has a journalistic degree and, you know, is supposed to be a professional. So that's good. It's good to see other people come down to our levels. Uh, last tweet for the week goes to at ESPN Stats Info. Manny Machado hits his 20th home run of the season last night. The last Orioles player with 20 home runs in his age 22 season was Cal Ripken Jr. in 1983. Huh. It's been a little bit. It's been a little bit, but... It's pretty good company to be with, too. I mean, it seems to me like Manny Machado is a, is a good player right now and will be a good player in the future. Maybe even the kind of player you could build around? Jake, if there's one thing we've seen this year, it's the sudden appearance of Manny Machado as a superstar. To put it in perspective, Jake, Manny Machado ranked number eight in trade value for Fangrass in all of Major League Baseball. He's projected to have the second highest war, according to Zip's uh, projections for the next five years. In fact, some even predicted the following to start the season, that Manny Machado would finish second to Mike Trout in MVP voting and enter into the 200-2020 club. That sounds like a, a brilliant soothsayer. I think it was Jeff Long, actually, if oh, I'm going to be honest. Right. <laughs> um, but however, the Orioles have also relied on some uh, big moments recently from uh, Jonathan Scope since his return from the DL. And on the season, Jonathan Scope has raked with six home runs and 62 plate appearances for a 1,000 uh, OPS, a 177 weighted runs created plus, and he's picked up with some great defensive plays as well since returning. He looks great. Um, and with Adam Jones still doing Adam Jones things, the Orioles have a darn good foundation for the next few years to come across. However, after those three, it feels like, well, it feels like, you know, things start to fall off the edge pretty darn quickly. So, Jake, I wanted to have a conversation about, you know, there's all this conversation about, you know, who's going to be the future. You know, we have all these free agents leaving. But my question is, who would you build a foundation around, especially with the trade deadline coming up? Is there any player that you say we cannot trade him no matter what? Well, I think you just named the three guys that are in that category. Okay. And I think outside of that, the, the, the answer is really no. Right. Especially because a lot of the guys that were so untouchable previously have fallen on hard, harder times to the point where I would say, eh, I'll listen. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm a lot more yeah. willing to listen. Um, I, I would think that the, the closest, um, that I wouldn't uh, want to trade away is Kevin Gosman. Well, let's talk about okay. him just a little bit. Um, I know Hot Trot on your list are a couple names, and the first that we should probably uh, get into is Chris Tillman. I think Chris Tillman's the biggest lightning rod because, again, for so long since the 2012 season, people are like, oh, he's going to have to be our ace. And the word ace is always coming up, but Chris Tillman doesn't um, come across as an ace. He never has. I don't think he ever is. 
but he comes off as a very serviceable um, starter. Even with a rough, rough season this year, for example, he's going to post around about a 2.0 F4, um, and he's forecasted to you know kind of be that again. He's averaged that over the past few seasons. Again, not an ace, but a very serviceable starter. Um, I'd say he's a solid number three starter. And the thing about Chris Tillman is he's so frustrating to a lot of people because he has games where he's just flat out terrible and throws a lot of non-competitive pitches. And it seems like if it's not right down the middle, it's in the opposing batter's box. You know, if he's facing a lefty, it's in the right-hand batter's box, or it's up at eye level. And then he has these games, like he just pitched the other night, where he is so on that he is nearly unhittable. And I, I think that we see more mediocre games in either of the extremes. But the real frustrating part about Chris Tillman is that we do see flashes of absolute brilliance that make you think that, oh, that's why that guy gets the ball on opening day. Right. I guess when I go back and think of some of the darker ages, and I don't want to go back to like Mike Mussina because Mike Mussina, again, is a Hall of Fame pitcher, in my opinion. But if we go through that dark period, if you think of people like Kevin Millwood, Jeremy Guthrie, um, Rodrigo Lopez, and stuff like that, it's just, you look in there like, okay, you know, they're probably number four and number five pitchers in this day and age. Chris Tillman is well above those pitchers even now. And again, being only 27 years old, I'm not saying, you know, Chris Tillman is going to be your ace of your staff. He's not going to be. But I think you could serve to make a foundation around him to a certain regard of saying he's a reliable pitcher that I can slot in right in the middle and know what I'm going to get from him pretty much throughout the entire season. Not start to start, but through the entire season. And I think you make an excellent point of telling a difference between what's going on now and what happened in the dark period. It used to be that we used to put up with guys in the rotation, and we used to say, all right, that that guy's in the rotation next year, because we didn't have anything better. Right. And because we didn't have what other teams have. And I think that if you look at a guy like Tillman, any major league club would be happy to have him on the rotation. Yep, totally agree. On the top, no. But in the rotation, yes. So I, I agree with you. I think that this is a guy that is part of the future, and uh, or at least the near future, because he's not a free agent until 2018. Right. So my question would be, um, coming into spring training, Jake, there was talk about maybe buying out some of the arbitration years and buying a little bit of the contract up for Chris Tillman. That certainly has been put off the table for the time being because of some of the struggles he had earlier this season. But if you've got an additional two years after this point um, of Chris Tillman, uh, do you go to Chris Tillman this offseason and say, look, we want to sign you to a four- or five-year deal and take you to age 31 or age 32? Yeah, I mean, obviously I'd be more comfortable with the four-year deal. Maybe I'd throw out the club option. Sure. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think that as he ages, he he will certainly get no worse than a guy I'd like to have on the staff. Right. I think that even, you know, if his skills deteriorate into his early 30s, it won't fall off the shelf. Right. And just as a curiosity, for my own thought, if you do offer him four years, what's the annual rate that you would throw out at him? It's crazy. It's really hard to to say because I feel like in the last couple of years, salaries have Have really done something crazy i mean and I scott keep, feldman three for 30 <laughs> exactly i keep going back to scott feldman as being the, the the moment where it all went wild um but to your point i think that i'm going to wimp out of the, the numbers question sure. and say though that whatever the number is if it's a four-year contract it's going to be much cheaper than than the going rate in year four of that contract absolutely because again you're buying out those arbitration years you're allowing you're getting the additional two years I think that if they were to go to him and say, we're going to buy a traditional two arbitration years and we're going to tack on two more years, I think if you went with a four for $40 million situation, 
he might be willing to take that, even if you had to bump it up to four to 44, because again, you are buying out those arbitration years. It's going to get a little bit cheaper. I certainly don't think Tillman on an open market is going to be worth 15 to 18 million. I think he's closer to being worth on an open market 12 to 15 million. I, I hope so. I could I could deal with those numbers, yeah. um, but I just I, I guess I don't trust the market because, like I said, it's it's turned into monopoly money. One other player that concerns me um, from a market standpoint that has been absolutely dominant is Zach Burton, who's age twenty seven. He's going to be a free agent come the two thousand nineteen season. But we've seen you know domination with the sinker ball, ground ball percentages off the charts. Um, the one question I have is you know with this roster flux that we're in with Dylan Bundy. Hurt and also Zach Burton's salary is going to get chunky very quickly, similar to how Jim Johnson's salary got chunky with arbitration. Do the Orioles consider saying if we're going to pay that much money to someone in the eight to ten million dollar range, do they consider ever moving Zach Burton back into a starter position? I don't think so. I don't think he becomes a starter again, uh, only because I don't think that what he does is a is a trick that works multiple times through the lineup. Mm-hmm. He obviously will have to become a different pitcher. Will he still have gas? In a, in a sinker that is just unnatural? Yes. But will he be able to repeat that through inning six and seven? Probably not. I, I think that one of the reasons he's out there in the bullpen and thriving uh, is because he couldn't make it through the lineup three times. And I think that to ask him to make that move at this point is just asking for disaster. You have a solution right now, and you can either turn that into a huge question mark in the rotation, or you can leave it as a solution where you are, or you can trade that asset away to go get something else that you need. Well, let me ask that question, too. Let's hypothetically say, we're talking about foundation. Let's hypothetically say Zach Burton goes out and gets an arbitration, 8 to $10 million. Top-end money for a bullpen arm as a top-end closer, which he really is. Do you think the Orioles need to look to trade him for prospects? Or are you willing to pay that 8 to $10 million as a closer um, to have... You know, to be having be as good as he actually is. So to play armchair GM or to play whoever re, uh, replaces Dan Duquette when he's off in Toronto, um, I think that that depends greatly on the rest of the composition of your bullpen. If your bullpen is now consisting of guys like Mike Wright and uh, let's say even Dylan Bunny, guys whose salary is pretty controlled then yeah, I'm willing to blow that top-end money on a closer for a couple of years. However, if I don't, you know, if I have some uh, journeymen that are, you know, turned into diamonds in the rough, as the Orioles are, are want to do, if I have guys that I actually have to pay a little bit, then no, I might deal Zach Britton and put in another pretty good arm into that closer. Yeah, it's a step down, but it might make the team and the bullpen stronger. Yeah, like I said, three years to go in terms of the contract, but it's going to be interesting to see how arbitration affects how long Zach Burton is with this team. Um, another name that I wanted to bring up, which is an interesting one, was Caleb Joseph. And you actually added this to the list. And it was definitely a name that popped in my head as well. Uh, 29 years old, but is again a free agent, uh, basically doesn't leave the team until after the 2020 season. So he's under the club control for a very long time. I, I guess my question is, are we going to make Caleb Joseph the foundation catcher for the time being and basically say goodbye to Matt Wieters? Or do you really think that we need to basically go out and get weeders again and say, Caleb Joseph, you're a great backup catcher, but that's all you are? Well, I don't think that Caleb, uh, that Matt Weeders is coming back. Okay, I, I don't think that's in the cards. We may offer him a qualifying offer, and he may accept that to build his value and go off and build his Scrooge McDuck vault. But I don't think that Matt Weeders is coming back to Baltimore. Would love to have him, just don't think it's going to happen. That's why I think that Caleb Joseph is worth paying some attention to. And, and I think it's funny because a lot of people uh, view Caleb Joseph as being 
just as good. Yeah. And a lot of people view him as being an all-star caliber catcher. And I don't think that's the case. But what I do think Caleb Joseph is capable of is being a part-time and maybe even a half-time catcher mm-hmm. to the point where maybe we can afford to have a platoon of two pretty good guys instead of having to go out and find a solid catcher. Okay. And I think that that's the type of approach that a team that's in transition and a team that's trying to extend its window period might want to look at. And so do I think that Caleb Joseph is a fantastic build-around rock of a foundation? No. But I think he can be a very useful piece in a team that's that's trying to get value elsewhere. It might get them an opportunity in the future years when Chance Sisko comes up, if he actually is you know as good as people say he might be, of saying hey, we want you to work into the role and see if you have anything. And if not, then come 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 a certain season, we're going to go out and either trade for a catcher or get a catcher that can be an everyday catcher. But I am one of those individuals that think Caleb Joseph is, is, is highly underrated. I think from a pitch framing standpoint, he is one of the best in the league. And, you know, as much as we like to gripe on him about, you know, the bat, right now over the short season with Matt Wieters, he currently has a very similar weighted runs created plus. I think Caleb's at 94 and Matt Wieters is at 95. Yeah. So from an offensive standpoint, yeah, Matt came back on the team and went gangbuster. And it was great to see, especially because Caleb was really cold at that point. But over you know a little bit larger sample set, they're really not that far off. And I think Caleb brings the better defense, all things considering. As much as we don't want to have people say Matty Boxstop is a bad defender, uh, like I said, sometimes he gets sloppy with that that plate framing or pitch framing. And I think that we have a divide on just how good Caleb Joseph can be. But I will concede the point that every time uh, we have this discussion, I'm always saying, but I've been pleasantly surprised by him. But yes. I've been pleasantly surprised by him. Uh, it's I, like Miguel Gonzalez, basically. Exactly. <laughs> it's just it's a nice to have, not not want to depend on it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I want to come to the name that you mentioned at the beginning of the segment, which was Kevin Gossman, who's age 24 now. He'll be a free agent in the 2021 season. So, again, He'll be with the club all the way to 2020. Uh, I guess my question is, Jake, certainly looks like the most uh, Major League Baseball-ready prospect that we currently have. And I'm not even sure you can call him a prospect anymore. But the youngest pitcher we have that looks like he's Major League-ready, anybody that talks about the Orioles says they want to see Kevin Gossman get into the rotation. I guess my question is, he's definitely your best candidate out there. But do you make him a candidate into the foundation for this team? Or do you go out and say, we want to trade him at this time to get prospects in order to get maybe two or three starters as opposed to just Kevin Gossman? It's a great question. It is a great question only because he hasn't demanded a roster spot just yet. And I'm not saying, I want to be very careful to, to avoid saying that Kevin Gossman has been a disappointment because that is not the case. I feel like the yo-yoing has been absurd. I feel like if he had been given some leash, we would be talking a lot differently about Kevin Gossman. But we haven't seen him really put together a couple of games that make you say, wow, yeah. this is what we've been waiting for. Instead, you're looking at a guy who's struggling to adjust to the major league level. Yep. And, and that's the biggest jump. You know, Buck always says it. And this is a guy that certainly could put it all together if he gets starts from April to you know, hopefully October. But that guarantee is not there. And so, again, we're not in a fire sale mode. But we are in a dangerous position where we need to manage the transition into the next window. And I could I could actually see the team warming up to saying, let's get two or three bodies instead yep. of this one. And hopefully we can be the better sum of parts. I'm going to apply Devo's advocate to a certain regard and agree with you on this, where if you look at Kevin Gossman, the strikeout to walk ratio is certainly not great for an ace. If we're looking for a top line, you know, top 30 pitcher, he certainly doesn't scream 
uh, you know, great material in terms of walk divided by walks. Um, but I guess my biggest concern is too, like you talked about, we haven't had a oh wow game. We've had a few instances of plays where it's like oh wow, where he's able to get out of an inning, but hasn't really had any complete games. Hasn't got really deep into games. Um, you know, he's pitching at 98, 99 miles per hour right now at 24. Can that continue? We know fastball velocity is going to decrease as the season goes along. We also know that he hasn't had many health injuries. You know, is there a possibility for, you know, an injury in the future, Tommy John surgery, anything that can happen with typical Orioles prospects? <laughs> and the other thing to consider is that if Kevin Gosman grows into being a number three starter in this league, that is fine. Yeah. And that's not a wasted number one pick in any stretch of the imagination. However, his value as a number three starter right. would be way less than whatever it is now, which is, you know, you keep saying not prospect, and you're right, but he's an unknown. Right. And, you know, if we traded him away, one of two things is going to happen, right? One, he's going to light the world on fire, and it's going to be like watching Jake Arrieta on the highlight reel every night and the pit of your stomach feeling. Or we're going we're gonna to get a steal on some other team. They're going to get a pretty good player, and we're going to get the pieces that we needed to, like I said, manage that transition. Right. It's, it's a hard question, but I think it's one worth having. I, I think in my gut, I say hold on to him, mm-hmm. but if it, if it happens, I certainly would not pull out the pitchforks and torches. Right. All right, so with the plethora of free agents that are leaving out of this year, do you resign any of them to a multi-year deal like we did J.J. Artie? There's only one name I would give even consideration to, and I'm not even sure if I would do it. And that's, that's Darren O'Day. That's tough. Uh, my heart says yes. Everything else says no. Yeah. I agree with you on Darren O'Day. I agree that I think that Darren O'Day is going to continue to be a productive reliever into his late 30s. I think that the way he pitches is not a terrible amount of stress on his arm. Yeah. Uh, I think the leadership that he brings to the, the bullpen, and that sounds so silly, but I, I think it's a factor. I think especially if you're going to bring up young arms into that bullpen, which is what I'm hoping the Orioles do, I'd love to have a guy like Darren O'Day out there. Uh, he he can get lefties and righties out. Absolutely. I, I would say sign him again. I'd say I agree with you. I'd go out and get the multi-year deal, but I'd probably give him a two-year deal with a third year if he reaches a certain amount of innings pitched. And I think that's fair, and I think O'Day would agree with that as well. Absolutely. I, I think that of the returning, the big returning names, uh, the ones that I would most like to see signed, and again, that's, you know, gun to the head, not I'm, I'm gearing right. for it, is, is Chris Davis. Uh, I think that he is probably more useful, or at least uh, potentially more useful. We're seeing it now, first base, right field. Again, the average is down from what we saw in 2013, but we'll never see that again. Yeah. But the home run uh, threat is there, and uh, he seems to be pulling out of that tailspin that he fell into in 2014. Will he be able to maintain this at a career level? Probably not. No, maybe yeah. not. But of all of the names out there, I would say that's the one that I, I would be least upset about if they resigned. Right. I would say I would want O'Day, then Chen, then Davis, then Weeders, and then everyone else is cast off the island, basically. All right. Um, Jake, who do you think is the next player to become part of the franchise that is, you know, can never be traded? That's a great question because I feel like the cupboard is incredibly empty. Yeah. I feel like it's very empty. And we're to out- me, it has to come back to it's either going to be Kevin Gossman or it's going to be Dylan Bundy. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the thing or is, or neither. <laughs> I think that's a very good possibility of it being neither. Uh, you mentioned Jake Cisco a little while ago. I'm I'm hoping that he's the next coveted arm, or not arm, the, the next coveted player that is is untouchable because he just lights up the the minor leagues. I'm hoping that Hunter Harvey continues to be that name. Yeah. However, 
I would I would argue that as Harvey comes up through the system with the Orioles' inability to develop pitching, again, maybe the trade chip route is the way to go uh, with that particular name. Uh, I it certainly know. has worked well for getting players like Adam Jones and Chris Tillman and Tommy Hunter and Chris Davis. That was the last regime. You know what we, should, what we should do is we should get rid of Dan Duquette and go get Andy McPhail back. <laughs> oh, wait. Never mind. <laughs> I'm not sure that'll that'll work out. Yeah. Now, it's not as if we need to sign every single position player. Uh, I think about half the team will be returning next year. Some lesser names that I think will be on the roster. We've talked about Bundy. Keep keep in mind that Abaldo Jimenez still has a couple of years left yep. on his contract. He's going to be there. Um, you know, will it get last year or will we get yeah, this who year's Abaldo Jimenez? We got to see about that second half too. Right? <laughs> Meh, we don't know. Miguel Gonzalez though would be back for multiple years. So again, not a great pitcher, but a good number four, number five, you know, starter or long man in the bullpen. Right. I mean, if we if we manage to get five good starters and he's not one of them, he can certainly have a role in the bullpen. Another guy that I want to talk about in the bullpen is Brad Brock. Mm. And he is in his age 29 season right now. He'll be a free agent in the 2019 season. But I think that that's a good, strong arm in the bullpen who can stabilize it if, again, it's going to be the young guys coming up to fill those roles, say if Mike Wright is the new Tommy Hunter or what have you. Right. Um, and also might be a good piece for if the team deals Zach Britton. We talked yep. about that possibility. Everyone to a man in that bullpen has said that Brad Brock can be a closer in this league. Now, how much faith do we put in that? Except for the all fact, of it. Except for the fact that we've seen him pitch, and I would agree. I trust him in high leverage situations. He's got someone would have had a dizzy pitch. Yeah. I might trust him in the ninth. So I think that that's a under the radar name. You know, the Orioles acquired him from uh, San Diego, and it was a great shrug. Yeah, but he's been, I think, a, a very good acquisition and somebody that I'm glad will still be under club control for the next couple of years. Well, there's definitely some solidity in uh, the Orioles franchise going forward with various players, but there's a lot more question marks, it seems. And uh, come, you know, the next few weeks, there could be some changes going on. Speaking of that, there's might be some changes going on in baseball. Let's dive into the uh, dirty details that came out during the all-star break. Come gather around people wherever you roam. And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone Or the times they are a-changing Scotty, this may shock you, but I'm about to say something nice about Masson. What? Yep. During the All-Star break, I was channel surfing. I was I needed something uh, in the background, and I came across Game 5 of the 1970 World Series. Wait, something good happened during that World Series. Maybe. Okay. Uh, and I was thrilled to see that Masson was playing some sort of Orioles-related content outside of the three hours that uh, that's usually set aside for game time. So instead of rodeo reruns or... ESPN News simulcast, I got to watch Orioles programming on the Orioles' own station. And I was really struck by how similar the game of 1970 was to the game that you and I watch on a nightly basis. And yeah, the names were different, and uh, you know the pitchers hit, even at Baltimore Memorial Stadium. Uh, but as a whole, it was the same game, and in many ways was even presented on screen in a very similar fashion. And now we've got more replays now and more and, and, and better uh, widely varied angles. But the broadcast presentation was easy to follow. 
The game, however, is not the same, and the sport continues to evolve and change. Now, since Rob Manfred has taken over as baseball's supreme ruler, uh, more changes in the game are being proposed and considered. He says that he'll consider just about everything that gets brought up to the table. So I'm going to talk about two of them tonight. Uh, and the first one I want to ask you about is the length of the schedule. Now, there's nothing magical about 162. It's just what they came up with after 154 wasn't good enough anymore. Yeah. But there's been some talk about going back to the 154-game schedule, and I'm curious as to what you think about it. I got no issue with it. I think it's perfectly fine to get rid of those eight games. I think uh, getting the playoffs to start in September would be a big benefit to not go so deep into October uh, and even to November to a certain aspect. So I have no issue whatsoever about going to 154 games and losing eight games off of the uh, off this uh, off of the season. So I'm perfectly fine with it. I, I think it's a no brainer. Yeah, I, I think that you struck the the nerve there, which is the eight games, four home games. Um, and looking back at the Buck Showalter piece, he praised uh, Peter Angelos for uh, giving up the revenue for those three games and for the game in which they, they had no fans. Um, you know, so it's not an inconsequential amount of money that would be lost. And that's probably one of the biggest um, issues is lost revenues. Of course, the owners would lose revenue. Uh, there'd probably be some lost revenue for the sponsors, or rather the TV and radio from getting the sponsorships. Um, and then ancillary businesses around town, right? Yeah. But outside of that, there's really no cost to doing it. You talk about scooting the the playoffs back. Yes, it certainly would do that. It would allow, allow them to maybe extend the wild card uh, one game play into a three game, three game series. series. Yep. I don't love that. I I love the one game play in, but yeah. I know a lot of people find it uh, unpleasant. And the chance to sell two more playoff tickets is certainly a good thing for exactly. baseball. Um, but one thing that I, I don't know would happen is if those games would shift back, because moving to a 154 game schedule would open up some off days, which would be a great way to buy support from the Players Association. I did hear that um, about doing additional updates, but I also heard in a similar report when they were going to 154 games that the topic of double headers came up again. Um, they were talking about maybe doing more double headers, just like in the old days, um, so that you know people don't have to do you know getaway days and they can say, okay, we're just going to do a double header and have an additional getaway day as well in there. So A non-planned getaway day. A non-planned getaway gotcha. day, yeah. So it's like... You know, instead of having your getaway day on Thursday, say, okay, Wednesday, we're going to do a doubleheader. And Thursday, everyone's going to be off. And then Friday, you can go into the next series. And then everyone is off because they did doubleheaders the day beforehand. I think that's a really cool idea, um, especially for some small market teams. Maybe you don't do it for every team, but for, you know, teams like the Rays and, you know, teams that are having a difficult time drawing attendance-wise, I don't see any issue with doing doubleheaders like that. Yeah, I I, I didn't read that particular piece of it, but... As a, as a baseball fan, I think we are the biggest winners. I think another big problem with moving to a 154-game uh, season is the record book. Right? Baseball is a game that's all about the numbers. You know, we talk about the asterisk, right? And it was a big deal having uh, Roger Maris hit that 61st home run in a 162-game series yeah. a season rather than the you know 154 in which Ruth hit his 60th. It's tougher to compare ser uh, era to era that way, and it would draw a line. Here's an interesting thing. Mm. Baseball is trying to uh, bury PEDs into its past. Mm -hmm. What better way to put a cleaver in the record book between that era and this era 
than a change in the number of games. That'd be interesting. I just think that the 162 game is so large that it's going to be tough to put an asterisk on a certain category. Uh, it would certainly be a superficial move. So by that, MLB, of course, will adopt it since it's such a, such a superficial move. <laughs> All right. So the next big uh, issue that I wanted to get your take on is that of expansion. Now, Manfred was saying that baseball is a growth industry and that he's open to discussing expansion. It's very interesting to me because when I think about baseball, I kind of think it's right-sized at the moment. And it was just a few years ago that that baseball was actually talking about contracting teams. And whether that was for political reasons or what have you, there are some teams in the league, and at the time it was the Twins that were really struggling uh, from attendance and their stadium situation, et cetera, and the Rays, which has just been a disaster since they got there. Is expansion really the direction that baseball wants to go? I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. My opinion is heck no. I mean, I understand the reasons for it because, again, you've got 15 teams in both leagues and you would like to get to 16 teams so you don't have to constantly play interleague. But, man, I just – I don't see the need to go to an additional two cities and I don't even know where those two cities would go that would actually be of, you know, a decent population base. I think right now you've got a decent – you know, situation. Tampa is really not doing a great job of supporting a team. Oakland is not doing a great job of supporting a team. I just, I don't see it. I'm sorry. I, I just don't see the expansion. And not to mention, it's just going to water down the talent even further. We're already having a tough enough time of getting good starting pitching out there um, and even hitting to a certain regard with the offensive down, down, downturn as well. I just think it's a terrible idea. So you, you just hit on two things that I, I, I want to expand on. The first is, um, not only teams that, that were struggling, you know, like Tampa and, and, uh, Oakland to draw fans, but you also have to take the long view of things. Mm. I mean, Baltimore struggled to attract fans for 15 years because they were terrible. Yeah. Kansas City had the same problem. These things are cyclical. And I think you need to take a very long look before you simply say, no, these teams are, aren't drawing. They can go. Yeah. Um, and the other thing you said there about the watering down of talent was the same thought that I had immediately. Like, I remember the expansion drafts yeah. of the 90s. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, it does feel watered down. Yeah. Let me ask you if this is any different. And uh, I could be crazy here. Is it any different yes, now? you're crazy. <laughs> is it any different now that baseball is working so hard to develop baseball internationally? Do you think that casting its net wider into more markets, into building – I mean – the Orioles just signed a professional player out of China. We, you're that. There's a very liberal use of the word professional. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, would the additional fresh blood feed an expansion in the states here in Major League Baseball? Maybe if they redid the international draft, um, but of course that's not the case. You are seeing a monopoly on uh, international free agency from uh, several teams, such as the Red Sox. Um, specifically, the Dodgers are a big player. Um, but there are certain teams out there that do a good job. The Rays, for example, do an excellent job in international free agency. Um, but there are certain teams that will be able to overcome it because they're able to accept taxes and penalties on it because of the amount of money that they get. So if they were to get into an international draft, um, that would be a way to maybe make it more equal. But there are so many issues and ramifications behind it, and it's not an easy, easy solution. I, I think you're right. I think the only way to make expansion work is to get those kind of reforms in the international uh, draft situation. But you know that that is going to be such a problem with collective bargaining. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the players want, at a certain extent, the international draft so that oh, they, There's no question in my mind that they're going to want to fix the international draft. They don't feel it's fair 
then someone like Yasiel Puig is coming in there and making you know a major league contract, whereas you know a minor league player has to go through the arbitration process, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's certainly going to be a big issue in the collective bargaining agreement. One would think. Uh, when it comes up next time around. But you know that the the money fight will always be there. Especially in the minor leagues. (laughs) Let's just, for the sake of argument, let's just say, okay, baseball is going to add teams. Okay. I think it's got to be two, right? It's got to be two, as you indicated, for for, um, making the schedules work out. Sure. So we're we're here at 32 teams. Yes. Where do the teams go? What are the markets that, that are out there that is screaming for baseball or could possibly work. There's only one that I have in my head that it's obvious, which is Montreal. Montreal deserves a baseball club back again. As long as they go out and build a stadium for that team, that's the biggest issue with the Expos was never being willing to go out there and really upgrade their stadium uh, using an old Olympic venue in the, in the process. Um, and, and, you know, us as Baltimore football fans are sympathetic to a, a one-time Major League City, uh, definitely wanting their team back. So Montreal deserves to get a team back, but come back and say i don't know if it deserves to get a new team i think a team is going to need to move to montreal i i agree with you but for the sake of argument for the sake of argument we're we're moving okay we're starting up a team in montreal we're starting up a team in montreal done i think the uh team in montreal would get the expos back uh yes they would okay definitely think so you think the new ownership of the next bows would give it back i think that major league baseball would decree that it has to be done hey major league baseball they've decreed- got a 30 million dollar loan to d- drag over the nationals heads right now Ma- major league baseball has decreed that the orioles owe the nationals right. more mass and money but it hasn't happened yet yeah all right the other markets that are getting thrown out there a lot is charlotte north carolina oh that would be a terrible idea what why what do you have against charlotte are you kidding me no i was just there their airport's lovely okay <laughs> this is why charlotte is a terrible idea Jake, you were in the Charlotte Airport, right? Yes. Okay. What was at the Charlotte Airport? Uh, rocking chairs? No. What did you watch in the Charlotte Airport? Masson. Bingo. Do you really want to have another legal ramification where Masson is taken over again in the Charlotte area by a new team and have Peter Langelis have to come back into court with Major League Baseball and say, well, if you're putting a team in Charlotte, I'm going to need to get a little bit of a chunk of that. All right. Charlotte is out of the question. You sold me. <laughs> we're done. All right. Next on the list. Las Vegas. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, Las Vegas teams are always been talking about professional sports, but I just don't see it. Uh, way too transient population. If anyone's ever been to Las Vegas, too, it's just a very, it's a strange touristy town, but I don't see enough of a population to go out there and continually to support them uh, from a metropolitan standpoint. Again, baseball is a metropolitan sport. Uh, Las Vegas is not a big enough metropolitan area to support a baseball team. All right. The, the other thing that I find troubling about Las Vegas is the gambling. Yeah, I feel like, again, baseball needs to do a better job of drawing the line between it and its sponsors yeah. like DraftKings. I might have to change my tune now. <laughs> I might have to change my tune. Oh? I'm thinking uh, the Las Vegas Roses would be good. <laughs> You're an awful human <laughs> being. I knew where it was going as soon as that glint in your eyes started. Yeah. All right. Other people have talked about Mexico City. Okay. It's the most populous city in the Western Hemisphere, some 9 million uh, people I'm not sold on that. I think it would be a really interesting move, and I think it'd be a very uh, profitable move for Major League Baseball to do. So I'd say out of all the ones we've talked about, excluding Montreal, this one, though it would have a few issues, I think has the greatest ability to be successful. It's a 1,000 miles from the nearest Major League City, which would be Houston. Yeah, but you know, look at Seattle. Seattle is pretty darn far away from everybody else as well, but they still make people fly out to Seattle. That's true. That is true. All right. There's one. You go ahead. No, go go for it. No, you go ahead first. I was going to say Portland. 
Okay, you know, Portland is a is its own market. It's yeah. close to Seattle, but it is its own market, and I feel that it does have the ability to support major league team. Uh, it's also an area that has been uh, trying very hard. Now, it, it also let a minor league uh, AAA team walk out the door, but I think Portland is a, is an interesting market, and also, as you indicated, uh, draws the lines a little bit closer. Yeah, got a better idea. I'm listening. What about Cuba? Cuba. The, the talk has been have when diplomatic relationships were br- brought about uh, before the season even started. Then what would happen if a major league baseball team was placed into Cuba in the next decade? That's certainly an interesting uh, idea. I-, I think that it would be very profitable for major league baseball, and it would, I think, be a Caribbean regional team mm-hmm. in no time. It would be able to channel the passion of that area into um into major league baseball i think it's a great idea let me ask you this as devil's advocate sure what do what do they major league baseball what do they gain by putting a team in cuba that they don't gain by putting a team in say puerto rico um i just think there's gonna be a lot more support in cuba than anything else what i'm thinking here's this is what i got a great idea here okay i'm terrified but go ahead so we build the baseball stadium and then when there's a home run hit it goes right into gitmo bay no, no. I'm going to shoot that idea down. Literally. Yeah. All right. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask for your scenario. We're we're putting our clubs in Montreal and in in uh, Guantanamo Bay. I'm going with Mexico City. If I'm going to pick out of the two, I'm okay. going Mexico City and Montreal. Okay. So you've got a team now in Montreal and a team in Mexico City. Two international. Much cities. to Donald Trump's chagrin. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, that's going to force an alignment issue. Yeah. Now, can we talk about what would happen? I would assume we would go from three divisions to four, kind of like football. Totally got. agree. All right, so what what would happen? Where who would go where? The only way I see this working whatsoever is you go to a regional format, so everyone gets topsy turvyed. There's no more, you know, this team has to be in the American League, this team gets in the National League. If you're going to go to these two additional teams, in order to keep that distance issue from being an issue, you're going to have to go over to a regional standpoint. So, for example, the Orioles would play in a four team um, with the Phillies, the Nationals, and the Pirates. I like it. I like it. And I think that... Uh, For example, the AL would be... Uh, the other one would be uh, like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Expos, and the Blue Jays. Yeah, absolutely. I see where you're going with that. So you get... And Buck actually has talked about this before, about doing a regional division thing uh, and, and doing it that way as well. So there in the South, you would get a grouping like your uh, Havana Knights, uh, the Atlanta Braves, um, and then both the Florida teams, right. maybe? Okay, I can see where that's going. Both Texas teams in the same league. Correct. Of course, they're they're doing that now. California basically would have its own division. Yep. Plus, uh, not to mention those California games. Again, we've seen with the local games how many people come into those games because of the regional aspect. I really think it has a good opportunity for Major League Baseball to raise attendance numbers up with that regional clash, basically. You know, in and out, in and out, in and out. Where you know you can stay at home and watch the game, but again. NFL is really big about this regional thing and having all the teams really close to each other. I think the Major League Baseball could do a very similar thing in terms of alignment. I just have a hard time believing that MLB would do away with the traditions. Oh, I think that, that I think divisions. that's a huge, huge issue. Yeah, that's a huge issue. But from a logistical standpoint and a you know making it simple for teams, I think that's the easiest way to go about it. That's probably the difference, though. That that that. Um, boldness it makes the difference between the nine billion dollar 
NFL and say the seven billion dollar MLB. Yep, yep, totally agree. All right, well, I I think that this it would be terrible for the uh, Major League Baseball to expand, but yeah. if they do so, they have to follow your recommendations. I think that you have uh, laid it out perfectly. Yep. But I'm curious, who else was perfect this week? When it comes to twisting, I just gotta keep insisting, oh baby. Yes, I am the boss again. We picked a very simple category since it was only a three-game set. We picked hits, Jake. Yes, hits. Um, but I picked Jonathan. Oh, actually, I picked Adam Jones. You picked Jonathan Scope. Jones barely edged Jonathan Scope, going seven for six. Um, that brings the contest to seven to five to one. But can we just point out that they both had really nice series? Jones with a two sixty-eight weighted runs created plus. Scope with a three hundred four weighted runs created plus. Two of the best hitters on the team for this entire series. So we picked two good players. Yeah. Uh, Jones and Scope deserve a huge pat on the back yeah. for leading the Orioles to take the series against the Tigers. But I think more importantly, yeah. you and I deserve pats on the back because we picked terrible we players in the previous set. We're off the schneid. We're picking, you know, ones yeah. and twos. Even when I lose, it's easier to swallow. When it So we're hitting we with runners in screen position again. I wouldn't go that far. Okay. So we're going to go with a another somewhat simplistic stat. We're going to go with whip. This week, and uh, we're going to do whip for starters. Oh, so we're limited to starters. Only starters for but whip. Jake, I'm going to let you have a little bit of advantage here, okay, if you want it. I'm going to let you take Bud Norris as a long man if you want it from the sample pool. <laughs> You're too kind. Yeah. You're too kind. Um, I'm a gentleman. That There is something like that. This is really difficult because I feel like the most effective of our starters are sometimes the ones that wriggle out of the most jams. Yep. For instance... Abaldo Jimenez, yep. I think, may have the strongest start, but not necessarily the the one with the fewest walks and hits per innings pitched. Yep. This is this is dangerous. God. All right. I'm going to make a horrible, horrible mistake. Okay. I'm going to go with Miguel Gonzalez. All right. I like Miguel Gonzalez, actually, uh, especially since he's going to be pitching in the Tampa Bay series, which I think is going to be of benefit to him. Uh it's not easy. I tell you what, I was actually going to go with Miguel Gonzalez as my pick. But you know what? I'm going to go with someone that I think has been doing pretty well lately. I'm going with Chris Tillman. I think Chris Tillman has turned the curve. Again, going against that, that Tampa Bay series team again uh, this weekend, I think Chris Tillman is going to make a big impact. So Chris Tillman is my go-to starter for the week. All right. I, I hope uh, that that is the case. Uh, I really do. I think he's certainly got the capability. It's yep. just a matter of whether or not it actually happens. Totally agree. All right. Well, with that, let's go through the lovely and not so lovely uh, with the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, 
the bad, and the ugly. Jake, do you want to go this week to start with? Absolutely. We always have me start because the quality of your rants far exceed the quality of my own. My good for this week is Jonathan Scope. I feel like we should probably call this like the Manny Machado good and just retire him. But no, this week for me, it's Jonathan Scope. He hit 500 on the week. Six out of his 12 at-bats ended up in hits. But here's where things get crazy. Two of them were doubles, and he also had a home run. He drove in four runs this week in in, in these three games. And that was important. That's that important. Was, that was uh, yeah. incredibly important to uh, winning the, the Tiger series. So he gets my good for the week. Definitely uh, an MVP candidate for the series, but not an MVP candidate like, of the season like Manny Machado has. Uh, Jonathan Scope's been so good that I've also been considering maybe moving him higher up in the, in the lineup based off how well he's hitting. Um, but my good for the week obviously has to go to Chris Tillman, who went eight innings of uh, pretty much scoreless baseball. Uh, nine Ks per nine, uh, one point one three walks per nine. I uh, only gave one hit. Um, just was very dominant uh, in terms of his command. Great to see that since command has been such an issue for him the entire season. If Chris Tillman actually has managed to get his command back, and it has been looking like that since uh, uh, J- June, the end of June, uh, Chris Tillman is going to be lights out for the second half, and I'm hoping that's the case. Me too. Yeah. All right. Here's my bad for this week, and I'm thinking a little bit outside the box. My bad is going to go to Bob Costas. Mm. Now, here's why. Hear me out on this one. I'm waiting. I missed the initial showing of the Buck Showalter special. And so I watched the MLB Network Presents with the four living legends, or again, whatever they're calling them, Hank Aaron, uh, Johnny Bench, Sandy Koufax, and Willie Mays. And I was really impressed by that conversation because I didn't I felt like Bob Costas did a really good job of not inserting himself into the conversation. He would ask a question and then step out gracefully. And I'm sure a lot of that was editing. You know, a lot of questions got cut during, uh, you know, changes of camera angle and all that kind of good stuff. But I, I thought during the, the show, wow, this is a really good job of Costas of not stealing a show. Yeah. Bob Costas is bad this week because then I watched the Buck show Walter piece <laughs> and I wanted him to just shut up and let Buck talk it's because you love buck though no it's because it was not well done that's because you have a man crush on buck bob costas would ask a question by asking a long question and then answer his long question with another long oh my god he was jake english yeah yeah that's bad that's bad that's bad very bad all right the bad for me this week is going to go to abaldo jimenez four and two-thirds of innings pitched uh a ton of home runs although positive note i will give him this is why he wasn't my ugly no walks again um you know, I look at it from a Babbitt standpoint, 308, it's pretty much, but again, that long ball killed him that game. And honestly, it was just bad because I had to deal with a very frustrated Jake English on Friday night being like, here we go again. We're going to lose this season again. It's the dark ages all over again. And then he comes back on Monday night and is all cheery and happy again. I was not that bad. You were a little grumpy. A little grumpy. I'm allowed a little grumpy. It's it's a, a long season, and, right. and grumpiness is a Why don't you go ahead and get to your ugly? All right. My ugly for this week, I'm going to give my ugly to Mr. Matt Wieters. Okay. And here's why I'm giving it to Matt Wieters. I, too, have been very disappointed with what I've seen with Wieters behind the plate. Yeah. I will say that during the Tiger series, it was nice to see him d- deliver a snap throw to nail a runner at first. That was nice, but it was a great play by Parmalee, too. However, I've been disappointed with what I've seen behind the plate. Um, dropping foul tips. Yeah. Framing has been abysmal. Oof. But he's also not getting it done at the plate recently. And this week at the plate had just the three hits to show for himself. 
And that's just not going to do it. And that's out of the five hole, five and six hole, right? Right. Yeah. We were waiting for Matt Wieters to come back and be an impact bat. And I thought it was silly for us to expect, us as, as Birdlandians, to expect that he was going to top what he did, you know, early in 2014 when he was a man on fire. However, he's just not getting it done. Yeah. And for me, that is ugly. That is something that can't continue if this team is going to be anything worthwhile in the second half. There's really only one legitimate ugly with the a little bit of baseball that we saw so far. And the ugly is an off day on a Monday following the all-star break. The, the, the terribleness of the schedule of saying, okay, you're going to have the entire all-star break, have a three game series. And then we're going to give you another off day because you're going to need the rest is absolutely abysmal by MLB. MLB deserves to be brought out to the woodshed shot in the head and said, what the heck are you doing for giving us this day off? Baltimore needs its baseball. Stop with these off days after one series after the all-star break just annoying it's ugly i hate it amen yeah i will co-sign every bit of that yeah all right blowing the save you want me to take it all right blowing the save uh you may have noticed on the show tonight that we did not get into too much uh, what am i calling to like trade speculation trade speculation from oh do you we think the Orioles are going to get this and who do you think we would need to give up for this because honestly there's no point if you actually think that any of these rumors that are going out there on MLB trade rumors or on Twitter or on Facebook or anywhere even close to being true, go back and look at last year's rumors that were tied to the Orioles and go back and look at the years beforehand. Nothing comes true when it comes to the Baltimore Orioles and trade rumors. There's no point in getting your hopes worked up for things. Just let it ride out, see what happens. But the fact that you think that a beat writer or someone has an inside source about what Dan Duquette is going to do. Heck, Dan Duquette doesn't even know what he's going to do most <laughs> days when he wakes up. I think Step they, back from the ledge, folks. Enjoy baseball and not the business of baseball. And let's go O's. I think they just recycle the same yeah. rumors year after year after year. I'm pretty sure that is the case. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all I had for blowing the save. Boy, you got ranty this week. I did get a little ranty. And soapboxy, too. <laughs> Pull the page um, out of my book. Exactly. So uh, one thing I want to mention, Berlin Bash, August 2nd. Uh, go to our website. Click on the banner at the very top. You can get all the information there. But we'll be there from 930 to 12 o'clock um, playing some softball right outside of M&T Bank Stadium. So it's going to be a great day to come out. Anybody's invited any of any skill level because me and Jake are pretty much the most terrible people in the world at softball. Would you say it's a long fly ball from M&T Stadium? I would say it's a long fly ball, yeah. Um, anything else you want to cover, Jake? That's all I've got. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Thank God you didn't sing this week. Whew. No. still here it's over go home go